0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Worked Up, the podcast where you learn to navigate the workplace, business, and your career with a little more ease and a lot less angst. I'm your host, Jacqueline Beck, and we have a special guest with us via Zoom today, Erica Rooney. Erica, welcome to the podcast.
1: Hey, Jacqueline, it is so great to be here. Thanks for
0: having me. Oh, I'm thrilled that you're here. Thank you so much for joining us. By way of background, Erica is a keynote speaker, she's a host of her own podcast, From Now to Next, she's an executive coach, she's a chief people officer. There's a lot that she does, and I know she's incredibly passionate in particular about helping women move forward in their careers. So there's a lot of ground for us to cover today.
1: Oh, my gosh. All the things, right?
0: All the things. So, Erica, before we really dig in, do you mind sharing with the audience a little bit about who you are and your background?
1: Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I like to think that I have an interesting background. So, as Jacqueline said, I'm a chief people officer. That is what I like to call my nine-to-five job. And then I also do the executive coaching, consulting, and podcasting all in all the other hours of the day that I can find. But I did not start in HR or in, like, leadership ever, right? So I actually started my career by way of health and fitness and I worked for Verizon as a health and wellness coordinator for almost 8 years. And the problem was is I have a extremely high growth mindset. So I always want to learn, I always want to do more. You know, if there's like constraints around my growth, I get really antsy. And mm, in my yeah. career, which was health and fitness, like that is not A corporate ladder career climbing path. It's very short, and I climbed as high as I could possibly go, and then I really just outgrew the role, and I had to make a decision of I'm either going to be comfortable doing health and fitness at this level for the rest of my career, which that answer was no because I was like 27, or I need to figure something else out. And Mm -hmm. I had no idea what I wanted to do, and I went and I got my project management certification. I looked at HR stuff, but I had no idea. So I was kind of just throwing stuff at the wall. But what drew me into HR was that I took a moment to figure out what my true why was and like what actually made me happy in the health and wellness world. And it wasn't that it was the fitness and wellness piece, although I really do love that. It was the fact that I was helping people and that I was making a difference in their lives. So I was helping them, you know, lose weight they would never been able to lose before, helping them run half marathons. I was helping them get up and down off the floor while playing with their kids, like all of these things they could never do. And that transitioned into HR by ways of, I was helping people in their career. So I was helping them develop career paths. I was coaching them through challenging conversations. You know, I was helping them figure out what did they wanna do in their lives. Mm. And yeah, climbed the corporate ladder in HR and, you know, landed in the C-suite less than 10 years later and had this moment of like, wow, I'm 37. Like, what am I going to do for the rest of my life if I'm a chief people officer now? Like, mm-hmm. I could do this the rest of my life, but what do I really want to do? And one of the things that I think people don't tell you about climbing the corporate ladder is the higher up the ladder you go, the farther you get away from the people. Mm. And you may be saying, well, duh, Erica, but I found that in my role as a chief people officer, I was helping the organization. I was focused on revenue. I was focused on EBITDA. I was focused on strategy, which is all super interesting, but I was missing my why, which was helping people. And that's when I kind of dove into the coaching and consulting. And because my time is limited and I only have so many hours a day, I focused my time on coaching women in executive leadership roles.
0: That's great. So this concept of figuring out the why, mm-hmm. I love that because it's almost like a North Star or a beacon that you can use. And we spend a lot of the time on the podcast talking about litmus tests, whether they mm-hmm. be values or your why or your mission or your vision or whatever it is. And so in your story, it seems like always coming back to, I want to help people. I want to help them grow. I want them to improve really helped you focus on what was ultimately going to be fulfilling to you.
1: Mm -hmm. And you'll notice throughout my career path is I absolutely was able to do that. And when I was starting to get really frustrated was when I had moved far away from that. So even in my Verizon role, I I grew as high as I could and I was managing 36 people. So I was spending more time managing people than I was helping people.
0: That's a great point, too, because I found that in my own career, that the higher up the ladder I got, the more pigeonholed I also got. And it became increasingly technical and increasingly less relational. Yes, I was dealing with clients, but not necessarily the dynamics of the organization, which for me, I really enjoyed. And so I do think that's a myth of climbing the corporate ladder that people don't necessarily understand, is that sometimes with the broader roles, you actually get even more myopic.
1: Absolutely. And what I think is so interesting about that is I love leading people, right? And that's what always drew me in these manager roles and how I excelled in these manager roles, because I do love leading teams. But once you hit certain levels, it is about the numbers, right? Because it's Mm. about keeping the business going, which eventually is about keeping all of your people employed. So you're helping them, yes, but it's just not the same. It's not the same level of personal gratification that I was getting, even though you know, consciously, I'm looking at it saying, I'm helping all of these people in my organization grow and excel and do all these things. I wasn't feeling that piece.
0: You know, what's interesting about that? In my career coaching practice, a lot of people come to me and say, I don't know my why. Mm. I don't know what I like. I don't know what's fulfilling to me. So what advice would you give to those people who are on their own search? And it sounds like you also were throwing spaghetti at a wall and seeing what stuck. Right. So what would you tell them?
1: Yeah. Well, I love this because I actually I have someone on my team who a few years ago was very much like just going through the motions and doing his job because that was what he had to do. But he had no connection to it, no passion about it because he didn't know what he wanted to do. Mm. It was kind of just like, I just don't know. And it I really had to think about it because I was like, well, I can't tell you. So like, if you don't know, how can I know? And I really encouraged him. And what I did for myself is just try things because you don't know until you try. And the more you try and you can try 10,000 things that you find out you hate. And that is great news because you now know what you don't want. You are one more step in the right direction. You know, they say in sales, every no is another step closer to a yes. That is the same thing when it comes to figuring out what your passion is. Because I will tell you when I added on my business of coaching and consulting, I didn't know how much I would like that. I kind of was questioning how much I would like that. And then I started doing it and I was lit up inside like, and it was at that point that I was like, I can't ignore this now because now I know how I feel when I do this. I could have been happy for the rest of my days being a chief people officer and just doing the thing. But when I started coaching women in a one-on-one situation and hosting women on my podcast and talking through all of the things we talk about on my podcast, I couldn't ignore that. And that's how you kind of find that That passion and that fulfillment.
0: Absolutely. All data is good data. Amen. And you made me think of too, a quick no is better than a long yes too, because it can reorient you, right? And it all goes back again to that knowing yourself. And I do think there's such a distinction between the theory, which we can all get stuck in analysis land of, well, maybe I'll do this and maybe I'll do that. And maybe I'll turn right here, but until you actually do it and put it to action, there's no way of knowing how you'll actually feel doing it. There's no way of knowing whether you'll actually enjoy something. There's a big gap between analysis and action. And sometimes even the smallest actions can be so informative to what really makes you tick.
1: Yeah, think about how many people take on managerial roles, because it is the next level. You know, people think about managers have a Mm. certain level of power and position, and they do it, they take it and they
0: hate hate it,
1: it. (laughs) it. stand it. Like that, right? Like we glorify these positions and society glorifies these positions that you know, it's amazing. And then we get people in there. And they end up being terrible managers because they hate what they're doing, right? But they didn't
0: know. I always joke. So I come from the financial services world. And I know this is endemic of sales. I know this is endemic of law. A lot of professions where to get more money, you need the higher title, right? And you need to go up the corporate ladder. And I say, you know, all these people find themselves in management positions for the bigger paycheck and the bigger title when half the time they don't even like people. Yes. They don't want to deal with them. And sometimes there is that probably willful ignorance, I'd say, that a managerial position, it's really serving the team. It's really about the people. It's about guiding, right? And I think there's also this false perception of leadership that it's very 1950s command and control, you do what I say, that's evolved tremendously. And now it's really about facilitating growth, Mm -hmm. facilitating strategy, building a common purpose. Helping people develop into their potential.
1: Well, and I love to equate it. You know, if you were to go and ask my HR business partner what she does all day, she could list out a long list of things that she does, right? If you Mm. ask me what I do, like I help lead teams. That's it, right? Like it seems like, okay, well, that's all you do. And it's like, but that is a lot because I am providing direction for all of these people. But I'm not in the the day-to-day of it. You know, I'm providing the direction and the strategy. It's a totally different beast than being being in the weeds and doing the work.
0: Absolutely. What exactly is a chief people officer?
1: You know, it is so funny because I operate under the assumption that everybody knows and I go around and recently I've had a lot of people go like, what is that? Like, what does that even mean? (laughs) And what that means in the very basic, you know, business world is I'm the head of HR. So I do all things related to human resources, but we actually don't call my team human resources. My team is the employee experience team because we, yep, we are here for the people and for the people's experience. Yes, we handle all of your traditional HR stuff. It's part of the deal. But our main goal is to always provide the best experience for our team members.
0: It it goes back to, I always say to people, limit jargon because you never know what the other person knows. But I but that's a great title, chief people officer, because it does get to the heart of what human resources tends to dehumanize, which is that the whole purpose, right? Right? The whole purpose is about the people who are fueling your organization. And even the term human capital. It feels so diminutive in some way, right? These Yeah, there, these are people and without the people, without their knowledge, without their skills, the business can't hum. Correct. So I want to transition to something because like you mentioned, one thing you're very passionate about is coaching and helping women kind of get past limitations and you use two great phrases, glass ceilings and sticky floors. So what are they? (laughs)
1: <laughs> I also get that question a lot, right? <laughs> the glass ceiling, I'll start with that because everybody has usually heard this term, but that is that un, you know, unseen roof ceiling that typically women and minority groups cannot seem to break through regardless of how hard they try, regardless of their qualifications, education, and experience. There is something that's holding them back, right? And for lack of better words, it's the patriarchy. It's the good old boy system. It's culture sticky floors is my term for limiting beliefs and then toxic behaviors Mm -hmm. right what is within our control and the reason that i like to look at it in this way is because when you look at pay equity just based off gender according to the world economic forum it's going to take 132 years for us to reach pay equity wow so i'm not gonna be here my kid is not gonna be here like i'm not gonna see it you know, right? But that doesn't mean I should just be like, "Oh well, guess there's nothing I can do about this. I'm just going to earn less." Like, what can I do? How can I move the needle both for society, because that is, I think, a necessity, mm. but also for myself, right? So I like to turn the mirror inwards and look in on myself. Or what are the things that I am doing, or what are the beliefs that I hold about myself that are keeping me back in? The thing is, is we don't understand what those are half the time. We are not aware of them, right? They're unconscious beliefs. So you have to do the work. Sometimes you have to have somebody call you out. Hey, Jacqueline, you are not being confident right now. (laughs) Like why? And you know, you have to do the work to realize those things. And then once you realize what those sticky floors are, you can start to look at it in a different way and question yourself. Like, is that belief that I am holding true? Is it helpful? Is it beneficial in this instance? You know, why do I believe that? And then you can shift that thought. So one of the examples I love to use is I had a woman on my podcast one time, and we were talking about being business owners. And my father owned his own business when I was a kid. Same for her. So we had the same kind of backstory. Mm -hmm. And her father would come to her every single day like, It is so empowering to be a business owner. You are your own boss. You have your own freedoms. You get to decide what you want to do and when you want to do it. Like it is amazing. So she always knew she would never work in the corporate world. My father, as a business owner, would come home every single day and pour himself a double bourbon and talk to me about what a struggle it was to be a business owner, Mm. how painful it was, the shackles that you had, how you had to put all of your employees and give all of them raises and you will never get a raise. So you should never work. You never have a business like that. Work in corporate. So I grew up with this belief of like, I'm never owning a business. That is for the birds that and she absolute opposite. And it wasn't until I got older and contemplated opening my own business up that I was like, wow, I can look at this a different way, right? Mm. I can do this on my own terms. I can work with who I want to work with when I, you know. So it's so interesting because you hold these beliefs so tightly and they may or may not be true.
0: And they may or may not be conscious.
1: It was years before I even stopped to consider that that was how I thought,
0: Yeah. It's amazing how many little, even words and phrases stick with you. Same day, different shit, (laughs) right? Those little, those little perspectives that people just tend to roll off their tongues, but they don't even know the messages that they're necessarily giving across. Absolutely. And it, and it goes back to that adage of, you never know who you're influencing. You never know what impact you're having on people. And that intentionality and that, that consciousness, frankly, around the words that you're saying and the impact and influence you do have, which is another thing talking about going up through the hierarchy. Sometimes the people in really high up places in an organization are completely, again, either willfully or unwillfully ignorant of the impact they have on everyone around them. Absolutely. I think your story is such a great, Story And it's kind of like you don't even know the water that you swim in. They say fish don't understand they swim in water. You don't know the water you swim in. And I think for me on my own journey, it took me a long time to uncover these belief systems that I held that I wasn't even aware that I held. And frankly, there's a tremendous amount of empowerment in saying exactly what you're talking about. This is in my control. And this is a choice. Mm -hmm. Right. And it all starts with the thought and then it leads to the action. Which leads to results.
1: Well, and I invite everybody to just be curious. Right. Like that is such an empowering way of looking at the world is to just be curious about like, why do I think that and why do I believe that and kind of one of my own experiments that I'm going through myself is as someone who came from the health and wellness profession, right? Mm-hmm. Big on health and wellness. I very tightly held on to this belief that I had to do 30 minutes of cardio a day, 30 minutes of weight training. And like, I had to eat these certain things and do these certain things. Otherwise it wasn't worth
0: it. Very nineties.
1: If, if you didn't follow that rule, you were not doing it. And I would watch my husband go up to our home gym And he'd be like, I only have 15 minutes. I got to get it in. And I'd be like, you are an idiot. 15 minutes doesn't do anything. Well, guess what? Over the course of the week, he got in an hour when I got in nothing because I wasn't doing it. And for me, I call this the sticky floor of perfection. And I love to use this as as an example because I never considered myself a perfectionist. I've got a messy closet. There are things that are scattered all over the place. (laughs) But when it came to my health and wellness, if I couldn't hit all of those checkpoints that I thought I was supposed to hit. It wasn't worth it. So by questioning myself, right? Like, do I really need to do 30 minutes of intense cardio a day? Or like, is it okay if I just get in 20 today? You know, and it's not easy, right? Because the fitness freak in me is like, Oh God, Eric, what are you doing? Like, come on now. But I am going through this own experiment of myself of like, let's see how our body and our mind feels if we don't push that, right. If we maybe just walk today instead of doing a high intensity interval training, or maybe we rest and we don't do anything. And I've been doing this now, I'd say for about like four months. Mm-hmm. And it is still a mental battle in my brain. Like when I sit down on my Peloton, I'm like, Oh, I got to do 30 minutes. And I'm like, yeah. no, 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 But menti- mentally, mentally, physically, like I feel more empowered and I feel free. And guess what? I still feel great. Mm. I still like the way my appearance is, right? Like I feel good about myself. So one of the questions I get asked all the time is like, well, are we ever free from these sticky floors, right? Like we're doing all this work. Do they ever go away? And the answer is not always, You know, that's always going to be an area for me, probably that the fitness freak that spent eight years exercising like a fiend is kind of like, think of it like the little devil and the little angel on your shoulder, you know, they're sitting there and they're whispering in my ear, but I now have the tools and I have been curious about my thoughts and I'm challenging my beliefs.
0: So someone once told me progress over perfection.
1: And girl, I could apply that in every other area of my life, but fitness. I'd be like, oh yeah, that report, it's not perfect. Send it out. So it was just, it was because I spent eight hours, eight hours, eight years doing it. Well, of course,
0: because again, for those eight years, that was the water you swam in.
1: A hundred percent. So
0: for you to change the water, you need to recognize the water. Then you need to decide, I want to change the water. Then you need to actually put in a filtration system. I'm really running this metaphor to the ground.
1: I see you are.
0: And then you need to swap it out. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of work. And I think the example you just gave is a great one about just doing it. Just getting through it. And I've said this before. A personal mantra of mine is just get through it. Because... Little tiny steps add up to progress, they add up to results over time. And what you're talking about is translating the theory maybe I'd do this, oh, I'd like to do this, into the practice of doing it.
1: Absolutely,
0: and I think people use the term baby steps very frequently. I have a toddler, my son is two. He started walking, let me tell you. He fell down all the time. He had bumps, he had bruises, he would cry. And I almost think it's a misnomer or almost a in you know, a really beautiful metaphor in a different way than intended because baby steps are not easy. Mm. There's a lot of stuff that comes with them. And so breaking things down into little tiny chunks makes it more manageable, but it doesn't necessarily lessen the burden of getting you where you want to be.
1: It doesn't, you know, and you have to be comfortable being uncomfortable, but I love the baby step analogy because it's what I use with my women who are struggling with imposter syndrome. So mm. you know, specifically when they're entering this arena of like, well, I've never done that before. And I'm like, guess what? None of us have ever done anything at some point in our life before. Like, None of us talked, none of us walked, none of us did any of that. But like, let's look at your toddler and all of the things that they're learning, they're learning how to use forks and spoons that comes second nature to us, you know? So we have to take that childhood mentality of like, I can be a little upset about this for right now that hurt, but you know what? I'm gonna try it again.
0: Well, and that's a great example too, of how over time, when you build habits, they become second nature
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and it's hard at first. And then you don't think about it. So just going through it, going through the practice, gets you ultimately where you want to be. Absolutely. And it's almost becoming a joke at this point because all of my podcasts come back to this theme of curiosity. Mm. I keep saying all of my podcasts end the same way. It all goes back to being curious. Yeah. So how do you think the concept of curiosity has served you in your own personal journey?
1: Oh gosh, in so many ways, in so many ways. When I think just about my relationships with people, especially in the workplace, like it's so easy to see the world through my lens because that's how I see the world, right? And I make my decisions based off of what I know. And then when someone disagrees with me before curiosity, it would very much be like, well, this person is wrong. What, What are they thinking? Now, when I can be curious and I can ask the questions about like, why are they maybe seeing it that way? It sheds a light, you know, that I couldn't see. It opens up a blind spot, right? Mm-hmm. That's why they're called blind spots. We don't know they're there, but it, it very much allows me to also embrace being wrong, mm-hmm. right? Like we always try to protect ourselves from being wrong. We view that if we're wrong, we're, we're stupid. We don't know what we're talking about. We shouldn't be in this position, this place. But I treat all of my, like, statements and thoughts really as a hypothesis. And I challenge, like, particularly my teammates to tell me I'm wrong. And I ask them, what am I not seeing? What do I not know? You know, I may be the chief people officer, but in this podcast, I have told you I am not in the day-to-day. Therefore, there is a lot I don't know. Right. So I like to invite myself to be wrong
0: such a great concept. And I think so important because that filters through so many different areas. Clearly there's the area of your career and figuring out what it is that drives you, where you want to go, what you need to do to upskill to get there. But then also from a, from a business perspective, you know, that's where a lot of businesses get into hot water because they assume the old way of doing things is the way that we can continue to do it in the future. And without that open-mindedness, without that growth mindset of how can we improve, how can we evolve, how can we get out in front of trends, things inevitably go south.
1: Do you know how Blockbuster, you know, the of course. old school movies-
0: Every Friday night.
1: Go get your Blockbuster and your Twizzlers or your m ms or your Snowcats. Our kids will never know. Let me tell you their biggest failure and why they went bankrupt, right? And and anyone else who knows more about them, I'm sure there's probably a lot of holes in this story. But Netflix actually applo- approached Blockbuster when Blockbuster was just booming. And they were like, will you please buy us? We would love for you to buy Netflix. Oh. Like, please. And they were like, what? What? Are- yeah, right. Are you kidding me? Video is the way to go. VHS. And they declined to purchase Netflix. I don't think there's a person listening to this podcast that doesn't know who Netflix is.
0: Much but to my chagrin, I know way, <laughs> too, much know way, way too much about
1: Netflix. <laughs> but do, do you see a blockbuster on the street corner anymore? No. And it was because their leadership could not get curious Test their beliefs and their hypothesis, they were deadpan on what they they thought to be true. And because they were stuck in that business model, which did serve them for a very long time, they
0: went bankrupt. And so much of this goes back to that growth versus fixed mindset. Yeah. And I'm sure in your role as chief people officer, you observe maybe a lot of people working who are more fixed than not. Mm-hmm. How do you encourage those people to make the shift?
1: It can be really challenging because you can also have a lot of very fixed mindsets of C-level individuals, right? Mm -hmm. They are obviously very talented. They are obviously very smart. It got them to where they are. But challenging people to break free from a fixed mindset can often be very painful. And there's I hate to say it but like it either works out or it doesn't they either become receptive to different ideas or they dig their heels and i like to say like there's gas pedals in the organization and there's brake pedals in the organization and people with fixed mindsets are much more the brake pedal and if you're just chugging along at status quo it can be okay to have a ton of brake pedals Mm -hmm. but if you are looking to be innovative and change the way you think and change your business model you cannot have any of those brake pedals.
0: Well, and and so much of what you just said goes down to cultural fit to a certain extent too, right? Because there's the trying, right? Sitting in the discomfort, like we talked about. It's not fun. Like you said, it can be very painful to try and encourage this type of shift within an organization. And then there's the data you get from it, going back to our earlier conversation, Are these people receptive? Are they not receptive? And then it's, what is in my control? What can I actually do about this situation? And does this align with my values? And so there's so much there in that example, but it really goes back to go, to talk about what we started talking about at the very, very beginning, that why and that litmus test and your own personal goals and your own purpose And what you're looking for, either from your job, your career, your path, your business, whatever the case may be.
1: You know, one piece of advice I would give anyone who is either thinking about taking a new role or interviewing with a company is to really dig deep on their interview questions that they're asking the company about their core values and how they are actually lived out and compare them to your own. Because where you see a lot of brake pedals are typically when you don't have those culture fits, Mm right? Like if you are a manager that you love to be involved in every decision and, you know, many people would call this a micromanager, but you know what I'm saying? Maybe you're that kind of person and the the company has a very autonomous culture, you're going to have a problem. And I think people really fail. They're so enamored by the shiny new job, the shiny new object Mm. that they fail to sit down and evaluate if their culture is going to work with it or against it before they even enter.
0: I can't tell you how many times I've been interviewing someone and I've thought to myself, they just squandered an amazing possibility with the questions that they're asking. And again, I come from the financial services world. And a lot of times I would be interviewing relatively junior members in terms of hierarchy, you know, new analysts, new associates. And they would ask these really brainy, esoteric uh, questions about the direction of the markets and interest rates and, you know, our views on where the world was going. And I would so much rather them ask about the role, what makes someone excel in the role, what makes someone thrive in the organization, what the best things about the organization are, what challenges we face in our jobs. Really- say, What is the thing you would change about the organization? Exactly, exactly. Because so much about an interview, of course you wanna get hired, of course. And there are circumstances where you need to get hired right so definitely not discounting that but so much of it like you're saying is also about does this work for me
1: mm-hmm.
0: and i do think there's an evolution going on where people are realizing that more so
1: absolutely
0: yeah so erica as we wind down i like to rapid fire two questions to my guests let's go cool. so The first question I have is what advice would you have for someone who's looking to transition into an HR role?
1: I think if you're looking to transition into an HR role and you have no HR experience, that's kind of where I'm coming from. Go to the smaller companies. Go to the smaller companies. They have more flexibility. They are more open to hiring talent that doesn't necessarily have everything that's listed on the resume, and you will have the ability to be exposed to so many more different areas in HR than if you applied at a Fortune 500 where there's very much the red tape.
0: Great advice. I feel like so many people think that you have to go to the bright, shiny name all the time, when in reality, the fewer resources an organization has, A lot of the time, not all of the time, but a lot of the time you can get your hands dirty a lot faster and really get that on the job learning. That's how I started my HR career. Exactly. All right. Next question. And take this however you will. What do you know now that you wish you knew then?
1: Um... So the first thing that pops into my mind, because I love this question, and it was a sticky floor of mine, but it is not going to be anything that anyone thinks. But what I wish I knew then that I know now is truly that you will be so much better if you don't drink the wine. (laughs) (laughs) Say that I say that in all seriousness. Like I made a decision for myself over a year ago that I was going to just stop drinking, and I am so much happier. I am so much calmer. I have less anxiety. I sleep better. Interesting. I get more fulfillment out of my work. So, like I said, it's to, it's not on the work track, but like it also directly relates to my work. Like I just feel so much more present in the day to day. And I grew up in a in a drinking household. Like we drank to celebrate. We drank to grieve. We drank to do all the things. Right. And I did, you know, and and I just after COVID and stuff like that, where it was so easy to drink all the time, I made the decision that that wasn't for me anymore, and that I was going to test it out and see how it goes. And I love it.
0: Well, and that's great because so much about thriving and excelling in a work environment is being the best version of yourself. Absolutely. And it sounds like for you, that's saying no to the glass of wine, because like you said,
1: that's what works for me. (laughs) Yes.
0: You're more clear. You're more present and you're more focused. Absolutely. Well, that's awesome. Erica, thank you so much for joining us today. This was a really fun conversation.
1: Oh my God. It was so good to see you again.
0: It's so good to see you. Thank you so much for being here. If anyone wants to get in touch with you or learn more about all the great stuff you're doing, how can they do that?
1: Yeah. So wherever they're listening to your podcast, you can just scroll on through and find my podcast as well. It's called From Now to Next. And then you can also find me on LinkedIn. I love to connect with people on LinkedIn. And if you reach out and say like, hey, I heard you with Jacqueline, I would love it. And I will absolutely connect and network and just I would love to meet anyone. So those are the two best places.
0: Awesome. Fantastic. Well, thank you again, Erica. And as always, thank you to all of our listeners for joining us on another episode of Worked Up. Look out for new episodes on Tuesdays. We have some great guests down the way. Please don't forget to subscribe, like, and leave reviews. And please connect with us on Instagram at Jacqueline Beck Consulting, on our website, www.jacelinebeckconsulting.com, or email us at info at jacquelinebeckconsulting.com. And now I feel like this is going to be my new sign off. Remember, all roads lead to curiosity. See you next time.